How y'all doing today? Doing well. Are we doing well? Is this how we're talking today? Huh? You know, I, I was telling um, a few people this week, um, I live on the far extreme opposite end of most people because I go back to that verse where it says, if I perish, I perish, you know, and I'm not scared of death. I don't have a death wish, but at the same time, you know, Friday afternoon, we was in the parking lot and as everything dramatically changed when I was sitting at Poppy's Friday afternoon and I started getting text messages saying that, that the governor had, you know, made these, um, these statements. And I'm going to tell you, I back him. And I'm going to tell you why I back him. Because I back our government officials because God tells me to pray for him. But then whenever, you know, we get real tunnel visioned at times. And it's easy for me to make decisions for Johnny, Tammy, Page, and Peyton. But then when I start making decisions for Johnny, Tammy, Page, and Peyton, and then I start making decisions for the Roberts and the Turners and the Rues and the Albans and everybody, we go around this room, it complicates things more. And so I have to believe that our government officials are being poured into by people around them that's helping them see the big picture and not just tunnel vision. And so, you know, because even, and I might be making the wrong statement right here, but if he wouldn't have done anything and we'd have had 500 people die in the state, he'd have got mud on his face. But then if he does what he done right, right now and we don't have but 20 people die, he's going to get mud on his face because he overreacted. But he saved 480 lives. And so we just need to be praying for our government, praying for our officials that they keep making decisions to protect the people. It don't make sense at times. But you know what? There's a bigger purpose. You know, and we have a lot of godly officials in place. And then I have to believe that there's the ones that aren't godly. There's people around them that are pouring into them. So it's our duty, our duty as believers to pray for our officials. And so with that being said, we're gathered today and we're going to worship. And we're on Facebook Live and we're on YouTube Live. And I know that there's people that are checking in. And I wish there was a way that we could put it on the screen to show who's out there. But we can't do that. I don't want to ask them um, too much too quick. But, you know, um, I was mentioning Friday. When we flooded in 2016, that was easy decisions. 80% of the parish was underwater. People couldn't get to worship. You cancel worship. But there's no water. There's no nothing. There's a, a that we can't even see right now floating around this room. And so as I stood in the parking lot and we was literally on staff call with all of us on the phone trying to make decisions and I had other pastors calling me and pastors texting me, what are y'all doing, what are y'all doing, what are y'all doing? I finally just said, look, I, I, I've got to go to the sanctuary. I've got to go to my place of refuge and bring my Bible and get on my face with God and say, God, what do we need to do? And when I got in here, I was nauseated when I walked through that back door. When I got up here and I got on my face with God and said, God, what do you want? When I walked out of here, I knew we was doing what we were supposed to be doing today. Did I want to cancel Sunday school? No. Did I want to cancel 8 o'clock worship? No. But I think for today it was the right decision. And so anyway, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel 23. 2 Samuel 23. We're in verse 9. And we've been talking about chase the lion. And today we're talking about, about the dream. And we're going to wrap up right here today on this. And so 2 Samuel 23, 2 Samuel 23, chapter, chapter 23, verse 9. It says, Next to him was Eleazar, the son of Dodai. And as, he, as one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at the pass for battle. 
And then the Israelites retreated. But Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again. Lord, just say that we love you. Father, I thank you for a beautiful day. Father, I thank you again, Father, for providing us what we need today. Father, to be able to, to broadcast. Father, to be able to be out in people's living rooms. Father, as they sit with their families and watch. Father, but more importantly, to be able to sit in this room this morning right now. Father, gathered. Father, to meet with you. Father, I just ask that you just open our hearts, Father, to hear from your word today. And Father, to learn to dream your dream. Father, we love you. In your son's name I pray. Amen. You know, whenever you read that, and you know, I, I, I wrote a, found a few um, good quotes, and I want to read to you. If you succeed at the wrong thing, if you succeed at the wrong thing, you have failed. If you fail at the right thing, you have succeeded. I'd rather fail at the right thing than succeed at the wrong thing. How many of you agree with that statement? You know, but when you look at it, none of us like to fail. But I would rather fail doing what God's called me to do than succeed at not doing what he hadn't called me to do. Steve Covey wrote a book, and in this book it said, most people are so busy climbing the ladder of success that they fail to realize the ladder's leaning against the wrong wall. So before you go after your dream, make sure that you're going after the right dream. You've got to define success before you get started. Mark Batterson that wrote this book that I, that I read, that I, the whole sermon series come out of Chase the Line. Mark Batterson's definition of success is this. He said, success is when you know, when you know who you best, res success is when those who know you best respect you the most. At the end of the day, I want to be famous in my house. You know, and that's a mouthful to think about that as long as the people around you and the people that respect you the most are with you, then that's what's important. You know, um, there's a line in the book and it says that um, we need to quit living as if our purpose is to, to, in life is to arrive safely at death. We need to run to the roar. Remember where I started. You don't die when your heart stops beating. You die when, you stop, when your heart stops skipping a beat from the pursuit of the dream that God's given you. You know, everything about what Live Oak Baptist needs to be doing ought to be chasing the dream that God's given us. And what's that dream that God's given us? You know, let's go back to our chart. You know, let me roll our magic chart back up here. What's the, what's the dream? What's the vision that God's given us? It's right here. It's to know, grow, go. You know, those aren't just three random words. When you really capitalize and you start looking at these words, and if you really know who God is, if our job to think is to know that we need to be taking people and bringing them to the foot of the cross and teaching them how to know who God is, and as they learn to know, then they're going to start growing. And how do we grow? Through small groups, through Bible study, through knee-to-knee -knee conversations with people to get messy at times. It's not always fun to sit down with people and really pour into their lives. And as we know and as we grow, then going is going to be a natural process. It's going to be to where we say, yes, I want to tell people about God. And when I talk about go, I'm not talking about running to Nicaragua or, or going to the Bahamas or, or going to the ballpark or going to the school. Sometimes our going is going to our dining room table and sitting with our family and telling them about Jesus. Sometimes our going is going to our best friend and sitting knee to knee with them and reminding them, hey, God loves you. 
God loves you. I told the staff, this has been a, a really long week for me in a lot of ways, but it started Monday morning. I got a phone call. And when you, when you look at the ripple, you know, we talked last week about the ripple. When you drop the rock in the, in the pool and the ripples go out. You know, several years ago, I was in a, out of state at a church and met a pastor with my dog ministry. Monday morning, that pastor called me and he said, I found your card on top of my desk. And he said, I need you to tell me right now why I shouldn't pick this pistol up and in my life. Now, you talk about shift yourself into high gear all of a sudden. Because I can't drive six hours to get to him quick enough. And so I immediately, my immediate first thing before I said a word to him was I said, God, you've got to give this old boy the words to say. You've got to do this now. And as I spent the next three hours on the phone with him, and, and I finally figured out how I got a hold to his wife on the other phone and got him to help he needed. But when you start looking at no, grow, go, when you look at small groups and you look at being messy, you know, Tuesday morning, you're thinking, all right, that, that's bad. Now, Tuesday, I get a phone call from another pastor that I crossed paths with in the last couple of years with the dog ministry. And he, he calls me and he says, Johnny, tell me now why I shouldn't pack my house and leave my church and not even tell them I'm gone and see if they notice. God, give me the words to say. God, what are you trying to teach this boy this week? Because I'm all ears right now. And as I talk to that pastor... And when I get off the phone with him, I'm just being real. My next step after I got off the phone with him was I come in here and I worshiped my God. And I said, God, thank you for giving me Live Oak Baptist Church. God, thank you for giving me a church that loves me. I think y'all love me. <laughs> but that loves me and supports the vision of this church, that supports to know what it understands, what it means to know, grow, go. You know, that supports that fact. Wednesday, I talked to another pastor that has been working on his vision and he goes in, the leadership of his church says, no, that's dumb, we're not doing it. And he leaves out of that meeting, meeting defeated. Again, I come back in and say, God, thank you for giving me Live Oak Baptist Church, a church that believes in us, a church that supports his staff. When you hear, when you read that verse, go back with me to verse 9. It says, next to him was Eleazar. And as one of the three mighty warriors, Eleazar was in the top three for David. He was the top three in the warriors for David. And it says, as one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David. Underline with. That's a real important word. He was with David. He might not have understood everything David wanted. But he knew David had a vision from God. And he said, I'm willing to fight until my arm, my hand freezes to the sword. I can't even wrap my... I can remember when I was in drafting years ago and I would sit. This was back when there was still board drafting. Remember those days, Mark? That was before the computer. And I would write literally pages and pages. I would copy out of hunting magazines. I'd copy the Bible writing, trying to perfect my lettering. 
Because back in those days, if I picked up Mark's drawing, I had, to, I had to match his handwriting. If I picked up Brother Richard's drawing, I had to match his handwriting. So I would practice my lettering for hours. And I would have calluses on my fingers. But I never wrote till my hand froze to a pencil. Think about fighting until your hand freezes to the sword. And that's where Eleazar was at. Why? Because he was with David. He had bought into the vision that David had to help David get to where he needed to get. And so he said, if I have to fight everybody by myself, David, that's what I'm going to do for you because I was with you on this field whenever you claimed this field for battle. And so when you start looking at knowing and growing and going and you start looking at our community and you start looking at worship and the neighborhoods and small groups and those things, you know, that's what it's about. You know, and I've been breaking down every week about faith. You know, the first one was faith is willingness to look foolish. Faith is the process of unlearning our fears. Faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second step. Today, the biblical definition, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You know, right there in Hebrews, it's telling us, you know, it's telling us that we should have confidence in it. You know, in Hebrews 12.2, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorn and shame. Jesus did what he did because he had a clear vision for the end goal. Did he want to face them nine or ten inch spikes that went into him? I'd have to say, no, who wants to lay there and let somebody drive nails through you? I've hit my thumb with a hammer before and just cried. <coughs> I can't imagine laying there and letting somebody willingly put those nails in me because, it, I mean, Scripture, I believe he could have called down all the angels in heaven and took those Romans out if he wanted to. He chose to stay on that cross. Why? Because his end goal wasn't to beat the Romans. His end goal was my soul and your soul so that we can spend eternity with him. And so today, whenever I read that about Eleazar and it says he was with David, Johnny Morgan today is with God. Are y'all with God? Are y'all following that dream that he's given us to know, grow, go? Are you following that? Are we with him whenever we start looking at that? How many of y'all have ever heard the saying, life's like a box of chocolates? Y'all know the movie immediately, don't you? Life's like a box of chocolates. What if I told you that life was like a box of Legos today? See, we pick up a box of Legos and we look, and, and I'd use this in marriage counseling. So anybody in here that if you want me to do your wedding, just know you're going to have to do Legos for me. It's fun, Halar and Austin. Brian and Samantha, y'all have done the Legos. You know, this is where you really know if you can communicate with your spouse. Me and my wife would probably throw the Legos at each other. <laughs> but anyway, when you look at this box, you know, this one, there, there's a big green John Deere looking tractor. And then there's a castle. Well, see, a lot of us, we want that end result. Wouldn't it be really cool to open this box and just pull that tractor out and go to play with it? But that's not the purpose of Legos, is it? The purpose is to build, to get here. And just like in this box, there's 66 pieces. And I know because I built everything on this box to time myself to see how long it would take. You don't use all 66 pieces. Where our life, our life, our dream, when we're following God to get to these things, we don't immediately jump in to go. We don't immediately jump in to being a small group leader. We don't immediately jump up on stage and become worship leaders, right, Donnie? I can't do it. 
I can't, I've been in church my whole life, and when I get up here and start singing, they start hollering, tree that coon. It is not pretty, <laughs> you know? So as much as I dream, I'm not equipped to be the worship pastor at this church. Some of y'all are thinking, you're not equipped to be the pastor of this church. But when you look at this, and we look at the dream, and we look at the finished product, and we know what God's calling us to do, and just like that box of Legos, there's pieces along the way that we have to start putting together to get to the finished product, right? You know, whenever you do this, you have to understand that you have to put the tires on the rims. If you just put the rims on the tractor, you're not going to be able to roll anywhere. So you've got to be able to put the tires on the rims and then put the rims on the, on the flat plate and you have to build up to it. Well, all through life, we're putting the pieces together. And God's using us. God might, it might not be our dream at the time. It might be what God's called Seth to do. And he's called me to come alongside Seth and to fight for Seth and to fight to death for Seth. But along that way, God's going to use me to help him. And it might be in that process that when I'm being used to help Seth, that God gives me the vision to go to the next level, that I come alongside Donald Turner and I start helping Donnie do what Donnie's being called to do. And then somewhere along that process, it might be that where y'all are called alongside me to help me get to where I need to be. So all these pieces, and along the way, you say, well, what about this piece? That piece is the ladder that's leaned on the wrong wall. If we pick it up and use it, that's not what God wants. But when you start looking at it like that, and you start stacking all these pieces, and I can remember when I was a little boy, I had this big red um, it was like a firefighter's boat that was made out of Legos. And it took me weeks to put that boat together. But then when I got it together, what would I do? I moved to the next one. How we live in our life. You know, how we really live in our life. Are we building the Legos? Or are we expecting the finished product? You know, my personality, I've always been real goal-driven. And, and that was always my challenge. If I wanted something, I worked till I got it. Then once I got it, I said, well, now what I want to do? That wasn't as much fun as I thought. And then I moved to the next thing. You know, whenever David, whenever he was saying he was with him, I think that's where a lot of us need to figure out that word with. We need to adopt that, that growth mindset. I run across this story. In 1984, there was um, a, a guy named Rowdy Gaines. Anybody ever heard of Rowdy Gaines? All right. Rowdy Gaines won the gold medal, set an Olympic record for the 100-meter freestyle with a time of 49.8 seconds. See, the United States boycotted the 1980 Olympics in Moscow, so Gaines trained for the Olympics for eight years. Eight years he trained for a race that lasted less than a minute. Can you imagine that? Is that dedication? A lot of us can't train our whole life for something that's going to last a lifetime, much less, less than a minute. It goes on and it says over those eight years, it's estimated that he swam 20,000 miles in a 50-meter increment. In Gaines' words, I swam around the world for a race that lasted 49 seconds. How did he do it? He had a growth mindset. mindset. Rowdy Gaines said, at every practice, I would try to beat myself. That's it. I wasn't trying to beat everyone else. I was trying to beat myself. Because if I kept beating myself, eventually, I would beat everyone else and win the gold medal. 
What if we picked up that mindset and say, God, I want to be the best disciple I can be. So every day I want to beat myself. Every day I want to be a better person than I was the day before. Every day I want to read my Bible more. Every day when I read my Bible, I want to spend time with you. And as I do that, I grow closer to you. Every day, I want to be a better person. Every day, whenever I see somebody, I'm going to give them the head bob. Because remember, we're not shaking hands this week. Every day, I want to be that better person. Every day, I want to focus myself to be that disciple you've called me to be. If we had that mindset, how would our world look? How would Watson look today if we took on that mindset? That today, I'm going to be the best Christian I can be. Today, God, I'm going to live for you like no other way. God, there's going to be days that I'm going to sit at my desk and somebody's going to cuss me out. Somebody's going to call me a low-down scoundrel. But I'm going to look at them and smile and love like how you loved. That's not easy, is it? But that's what God's calling us to do. I don't want to live like that some days. Let's just get real. I was on the phone with somebody this week, and I said, there's days that I would love to put a mask on, put a costume on, pick up a piece of pipe, and go whip some people. <laughs> and then just go back home, and just go back home and read about it on the internet. There was a masked man that beat some parents up with a piece of pipe. Wow, I wonder who did that. I wish I could do that. But that's not how God's called us to live. He's called us. I want you to know me. I want you to grow in me. And I want you to go love like me. I want you to go and sit down with people that you don't like and tell them I love you because God loves you. I want you to go and I want you to do something for somebody. Me and Mike was um, eating this week. I know that's a big shock. And we was in a, in a place, and it was a whole group of widow ladies that was in there that eat together. And it was kind of sad to me, but it was, big, it was probably 10 or 15 widow ladies sitting there eating lunch together. And me and Mike said, how cool would it be if we had the finances that we could have went to the cashier and said, look, lunch is on us today. Buy their lunch. Let us live and show them God today. But how do we live our days? You know, are we living the dream that God's called us? Are we fighting till our hand freezes to the sword? How many of y'all have ever heard of the song Hallelujah? Y'all have heard the song Hallelujah? A guy named Leonard Cohen wrote that song. And it's been performed, been performed by hundreds of artists. The British music magazine Q named it as one of the top ten greatest songs of all time. Bono said, Bono said it might be the most perfect song in the world. It's magical. But Cohen, the author of the song, called it pure agony. It took him four years to write that song. He wrote over 80 verses that he eventually pared down to four. And so a song that the world thinks is the best song ever, he called it pure agony because of what it took to get him there. The London Philharmonic Orchestra selected 50 of the greatest pieces of classical music. The list included six pieces by Mozart five by Beethoven, three by Bach. To generate those masterpieces, Mozart composed more than 600 pieces, Beethoven produced 650, and Bach wrote more than 1,000 pieces. Out of the 1,000, only three of them was recognized as some of the best that was ever was. If he had been playing baseball, to put it in perspective, Bach would have, would have been batting a .003 average. 
Tanner, would that get you out there to bat if you batted that kind of average? Huh? They would laugh at you, wouldn't they? But yet, when you think about it, total failure? No. Because it took effort. It took time. You know, success is sweaty. Sometimes sex is not glamorous. It's gritty. When we're living what God's calling us to do, it's not easy. There's trial. There's trial. There's errors. There's failures. But in the end, God's God. I can't tell you on a personal level how many people that I've shared Christ with. And I can't tell you how many people looked at me and looked me in the eye and said, not today, not today. In my heart, I failed. In my heart, I failed. But I have to believe in God's heart, it was a success because that seed was planted so that the next person that come along said, man, this was easy. Because they surrendered to Christ. We have to live with a growth mindset. We have to live with a, with a mindset that we're willing to, to go till our hand freezes to the sword. You know, what a beautiful picture it would be if we could say that our hand froze to God's word. Think about it. Think about what it would say to the world if we was walking and our hands was physically froze to God's word because we had been in it so much our hands cramped, just cramped and clamped clothes on it. You know, and I've made this statement in here before I know about walking to my, grand, my great-grandmother's house across the road back when Highway 16 at my house was just two lanes and I could cross it all day long and not have to worry about it. And I'd go over there and she'd be sitting with her hands in her Bible like this and it was draped over her hands. And she'd be reading and I'd look at her and I'd say, Big Mama, why are you reading again? You have read that Bible. Why are you doing this again? And she just would look at me with tears in her eyes and she'd say, Son, because God's teaching me something different today. Her hand was froze to what mattered. What a lesson. What a lesson in life. But are we willing to do it? Are we willing to be like Ben and I to where we run up here on top and we look down in here and we say, are we going to run and look and say, ooh, that's a deep pit. Ooh, there's snow on this pit. I'm going to slide and I'm going to get scuffed and I'm going to get scarred up. Are we going to run up here and we're going to look and we're going to say, look, we need to make small groups work. We need to make community work and neighborhoods work and worship works. We need to figure out how to know, grow, go. So when I run up to this edge, I'm not going to stop here. I'm going to dive into this pit and I'm going to fight with God's word welded to my hands for what matters. Because when we do this, this matters. There's people that need to hear about the Lord. Right now, there is just hysteria. You know, I sent a text to my family the other day, and our family text, I said, look, I did an inventory. There's 12,500 sheets of toilet paper in our house right now. Use the bathroom at your place of employment. Paige, you work at home. Go back to Mama and Papa's because we can't buy toilet paper in a store. But if more people's hands was welded to this, we wouldn't have the panic in the streets right now. Because my God's God. And my God's got this. And sometimes it looks dark and sometimes it looks bleak. But you know what? My God's still in control. This didn't catch him by surprise. 
but how we live our life. How we live our life. You know, when you go back into 2 Samuel, and we go back to that word that I told you to underline, it said, he was with David. What if we went in the front of our Bible and put, Johnny was with God. Johnny was with God. Johnny's living for God. Is Johnny perfect? No. Ask my family. Ask my staff. I'm not perfect. But I try to live for God every day. Every day. In the days I fail, at least I can say I failed for him. Doing what he's called me to do. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus looks and he says, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He looks at Peter and he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And whenever I build my church like this, the gates of hell is not going to be able to contain this. Think about that. So when you look at it, when you start looking at dreaming, charge into your marriage and say, I claim my marriage for you, God. I'm going to do whatever it takes in my marriage for you, God. Charge into your family with your children and say, God, this world's not going to win because my hand's welded your word, word and I'm going to win my family because of you. What have we charged into, into our dream? What have we charged to God every day and say, God, my hand is here. Guide my hand. Show me what you want me to read today. Show me how you want me to live today. God, show me the people that I need to come in contact with today. God, if I have to break protocol and get away from the head knob and just give them a big old hug, that's what I'm going to do. God, if I have to shake their hand and suck them into me and love on them, that's what I'm going to do. God, because I love you. I love you, God, and I'm with you. And God, I want to dream with you because there's a world that needs to see him. It's not about these walls. It's about what's outside. It's about what goes on inside these walls. So run to the 500-pound roar. Run to the line, just like I've been an idea. Run out on that field like Eleazar did and fight. And if you perish, you perish. It's like I said when I start, I don't have a death wish. But if my God calls me home doing what he's called me to do, I beat y'all. And there's going to be a party when I get there because I'm excited. But don't live in fear. Live the dream. Live with God. Father, we come to you right now, Lord. Just say that we love you. Father, and I thank you again, Father, for today. Father, I thank you again for your word. Father, how you tell us. Father, how you show us. Father, and the promises that comes with it. Father, today, Father, I ask that we learn to live with you. Father, how Eleazar was with David on that battlefield, Father, we're with you right now in our battlefield. Father, for some of us, our battlefield might be our homes. For some of us, it might be our jobs. Father, for some of us, it's our friends and our family, the people we come in contact with. Father, today, some of us, 
There might be some that need to say, Father, I need you to forgive me. Father, because I can't be with you until I ask you to become my Lord. Father, and I can't be with you until I ask you to become my Savior. Father, today's that day. Father, some of us that we know today that we need to make Live Oak our home. Father, we need to become part of a church that's not afraid to run into the pit. Father, for some of us, we might need to come down front and just get some things right with you. Father, just let us be obedient. Father, just let us do what you're calling us to do. Father, show us our heart in a way that only you can. Father, let us be strong enough to step out. Father, we love you. In the Son's name I pray. Amen.